with transparent watercolor, you start with the light colors and keep working, adding more color until it gets darker. With oils or acrylics and gouache, you work just the opposite. Okay. You start with a dark color and keep adding light colors until you get to your lightest color. Yeah. So it's exactly the opposite, and that thought process doesn't work as well for me. Hey, Eleanor's, and welcome to episode 193 of the Camino Voice. Today I speak with the featured Artist of the Month for October of 2023. Please welcome Bill Coger. Hi, I'm Brandon Erickson, and you're listening to the Camino Voice Podcast, where I interview local business owners, comedians, singers, and more. I dive into their backstory to find out how they got where they are, what are some of the tips for you to do the same, and find out where they are going. Tune in every week as I interview more of the people you see every day. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Camino Voice, where we release a new episode every Tuesday. And I uh, hope you guys are having a good week. Uh, qu- quick uh, housekeeping uh, for the podcast. Uh, I've got this week, which is going to be with Bill Coger, uh, which we'll dive into in a minute. And here is our featured artist of the month for the month of October. So that means the third week in September to about the third week in October. You can check out his stuff upstairs in the loft here at Camino Commons Marketplace. Um, so that is for 2023. So if you listen to this in the future, it will be a different person in next October. Um, but I digress. Um, but after that, uh, there will be a break from the podcast for, um, I'm guessing it's going to actually, I was thinking it was going to be one week, but now I'm realizing I get back and I won't have time to process one when I get back. So I will be out for two weeks, uh, gone for two weeks. Uh, I'm only going to be gone for one week, but the podcast will be on a hiatus for two weeks, um, starting next week. Um, because I am going to Oktoberfest in Germany. Uh, one of my good friends is, uh, has gone to Oktoberfest for quite a while. He's a pilot, and so he gets good deals on tickets to get over there. Uh, and ever since he's been able to get those, he's pretty much headed over there for Oktoberfest. Uh, it's now just an annual tradition for him. And uh, every year he's like, you should come, you should come. And so this year, uh, with the prodding of my wife, uh, I said, I think I will actually try and make it this year. And he's like, wait, really? <laughs> so um, he's really excited. I'm excited. It's going to be a good time. Um, but that is why I will be out of town for the next couple weeks um, on that. So first time to Germany, uh, obviously first time to Oktoberfest in Germany because I've never been to Germany. Uh, but I'm very excited. I think it's going to be a good trip. Um, and, uh, I'm looking forward to it. So if you don't hear from me, that's where I'm at. And that's why you're not hearing from me. So, um, uh, in other news, which is not as big a news. And I know most of you people probably don't care at all, but the iPhone event just happened. So that was fun. Got to see that really not a huge amount of updates. The only big thing this year, uh, not the only, but the biggest thing is there's the camera stuff, but at this point cameras are are good enough that I don't really care. And uh, the big thing is that they changed back to the USB, not changed back, they changed to the USB-C for the iPhone, both the regular lineup and the Pro. So that's kind of fun. Uh, finally get USB-C on the iPhone. So yay. Um, okay, you guys don't care about that. So I'll stop talking about it. Um, 
All right. Well, today, like I said before, we're talking to Bill Coger, not Bill Kroger, which is what I say in the first part of the intro in the podcast. So I apologize to Bill for that. Um, but I got too excited and my brain filled in the rest of that. Um, but <clears throat> he is our very first gouache, gouache, not gouache, gouache painter on the podcast. He's also a watercolorist. Um, and that's his main medium, but he also does gouache, gouache. I'll get there. Um, so very excited to have our first gouache painter on the podcast. Again, he's going to have his artwork here um, at the uh, at the loft upstairs for the month of October or through the third week in October. And um, yeah, so excited. Uh, and um, then we also dive into he's a big part uh, and been very involved with the Stan Comano Arts Guild. That's its name. I think it's their guild. Um, so we talk about the four major events that they do there. Um, you'll hear a reference back to Art by the Bay, which again was one of the founders of that, was also on the podcast earlier this year. Uh, Cameron Mitzel, uh, Mitzel, I think, the owner of the Little Store by the Bay, and that is why Art by the Bay and Little Store by the Bay are have ended by the Bay. Um, so just a fun factoid there. So anyways, without further ado, here's my conversation with Bill Coger. Hey, Islanders, and welcome to another episode of the Kamano Voice. Today, I'm here with the Featured Artist of the Month for October of 2023. Welcome to the podcast, Bill Kroger. Coger. Hello, hello everyone. I added an R in there. Sorry. Most people do. They think I own the grocery stores. Ah, well, that would be, that'd be one <laughs> way to go. So before we jump in, tell us a little bit about Bill. Uh, well, I grew up in Idaho, went to school at Boise State University and got my degree in art there. So I've been painting pretty much all my life. Okay. Nice. Awesome. So when you were growing up as a kid, you know, a lot of kids get into art and they're doing little things here and there. Um, was there anything that you can remember or that your parents or friends and families mentioned as you were growing up that made you kind of think, that's where I want to go? Not really. I just always liked to draw. Mm-hmm. As Practically as soon as I could hold a pencil, okay. I started drawing things. And then whenever I could get into an art class in school, high school, even junior high, and then into college... At uh, one time, I thought about going into architecture. Okay. But I had an art teacher in high school that said that I couldn't do that. I had to become an artist. So he talked me into taking art classes in college. Okay. And I ended up getting my bachelor's degree in art. Okay, nice. Um, was Is art in the family at all? Do your parents, cousins, friends or family, or like, I guess, aunts or uncles? Not really. Okay. Okay. Uh, Pretty much just me. Okay. Nice. So when you decided to go into art and study that as your primary thing, what was kind of your... Were, how, were your parents supportive of that? Were they worried about that? I don't think they were really worried about it. I don't think they thought about it other than they appreciated my talent and wanted me to keep going with it. That's great. That's awesome. I don't think any of us really thought whether I'd be able to make a living at it. <laughs> <laughs> and it turned out I pretty much couldn't. Okay. So I had to do a lot of other things in my lifetime to make a living. Yeah. But I was always painting on the side. Yeah. And since I retired about eight years ago, I've painted pretty much all, all the time. Nice. Very cool. 
So as you were um, going through college and stuff, were there was there a focus that you had in art, or were you kind of going across the spectrum on all everything? Uh, because Boise State University is not specifically an art school, it was pretty much a diversified education. Okay. They covered all different types of art. There was not a focus on any one particular area. Okay. Were there things that you really enjoyed as you were kind of going through those? Uh, that's, I'd painted a lot of different types of things until I got into college. Okay. But when I got into college, one of the professors there was a nationally known watercolorist, mm-hmm. a guy by the name of Louis Peck. Okay. And he got me started on watercolor, and I just kind of fell in love with it. I'd It turned out that that's the medium that I really enjoyed the most that spoke to me. Okay. What do you kind of, what do you feel like, why you connected with watercolor? I think part of it is because it's fast and clean. Mm -hmm. At that time, people who were painting in oils, there wasn't any such thing as non-smelling solvents. Yeah. So oil paint was always a problem for me that way. Yeah. And acrylic paints didn't really even come around until my final year of college. Okay. So I painted a little bit of acrylic my senior year, but still preferred watercolor. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I I didn't think about that when it comes to oil painting. It's hard to get in the mood or in the moment if if you're just like, ugh, I can't stand this. (laughs) Yeah, there are a lot of changes have been made. There are water-based oil paints and all the solvents have become much cleaner so you don't have the bad smells like you used to yeah but it's still it's a very slow medium it's very slow drying and it kind of works the opposite of the way i think yeah with transparent watercolor you start with the light colors and keep working adding more color until it gets darker with oils or acrylics and gouache you work just the opposite. Okay. You start with a dark color and keep adding light colors until you get to your lightest color. Yeah. So it's exactly the opposite, and that thought process doesn't work as well for me. Yeah. That's really cool. And I've never thought about that when it comes to watercolor, that you're doing it in reverse of the other mediums. Yep. Nice. Um, so... Uh, Prior to doing focusing more on art, what were kind of the other things you were doing in career and stuff like that? As far as a career, when I was going to college, I worked in a camera store. Okay. So after I left college, I tried to get a job as an artist, but there just weren't that many things available. Mm-hmm. So I ended up uh, getting a job in a camera store in Seattle. Okay. And I was the manager of that camera store for about 10 years. Okay. And then that camera store folded, and I kind of went into different areas, worked for a few different things, and ended up in a color separation lab, which is something most people don't even know what it is. Yeah. But we were a company who would take all of the information from the catalog designers we take the photography, the design, the type, and put it all together. And then our computer experts were able to exactly match the colors of the products we were selling okay. to the uh, 
samples that we were sent. Wow. So it was a very complex process to create catalogs. Uh, we did a lot of the big companies like Pottery Barn and Williams-Sonoma, Holland America, yeah. J. Jill, some of those companies. So it was an interesting job, and I was basically a project manager. Okay. So I worked with our technological people. I worked with the designers, with the printers, so I had to coordinate all the different pieces and yeah. keep it on schedule and make everything work. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, and water, or not water, color matching is something that, until I started working in business and, and retail and different things like that, I never realized, like, how hard it is to do that. Like, you see something on a computer screen, you see something in print, you see something on an object. Those are all very different how you get those colors on that thing or in that medium. And so you might see something online and you're like, oh, this is great. This is the red I want. And then you order it and it comes in and you're like, that's not at all what I thought. It's like orange or it's pink or... Yeah. yeah. So that was the focus of our company is making sure everything was a perfect match because obviously a catalog company does not want returns. Right. They want everybody to be satisfied and that it looks like what they ordered. Yeah. Yeah. So we had a, a very good reputation in the industry for being one of the best at that. Nice. Very cool. So then as you were doing this, did anything from that, um, from the color matching, kind of the process, the idea, did that fuel anything in your art side? Not at all. No, okay. <laughs> it was a totally different mindset. Yeah. That was all... Well, when I first started, it was done by hand with people using chemicals and multiple exposures and so forth to create the effect. And as it moved along, it gradually became a computer-focused industry. Yeah. And we were one of the first companies to use Photoshop. Okay. Wow, that's crazy. So... <laughs> Nice. Very cool. So then um, during all this time then, were you still doing painting and stuff? Yeah. Not as much during that period of time because there was a lot of overtime. I didn't have as much time to spend on it as I'd like to have. Yeah. So nice. I was able to concentrate on it a lot more after I retired. Yeah. So once you knew you were kind of ending retirement, um, how did you guys find Kamano uh, Island? Uh Basically, we had been coming to the Kameno studio tour for years. Okay. And I used to go in the Gilded Gallery in Stanwood, because that was always the first stop for most yeah. people. And I was looking, and I knew it was owned by the Stanwood Kameno Art Guild, so I inquired as to how to join that. And I ended up joining the Stanwood Kameno Art Guild through the gallery. Okay. And gradually became the president of the Stanwood Camino Art Guild. Yeah. And I'm nice. still functioning as a vice president. Okay. Unfortunately, we had to close the gallery a couple of years ago. Right. After COVID, it just basically never recovered. Ugh. Yeah. So what is that kind of, I know we're jumping ahead of the story a little bit, but what happened, how have you guys kind of continued moving forward then post-COVID? Without the gallery, the guild now 
concentrates on shows and events. Okay. Uh, we do four events a year right now at the uh, Christiansen's Nursery in the Tulip Fields. Yeah. They have a one-room schoolhouse, which we rent for the entire month of April. Okay. And we usually have 20 to 25 artists showing in there during that period of time. Yeah. Then during the Mother's Day tour, we rent the Vintage Firehouse on Camino Island. Okay. And we're able to get about 35 artists into nice. that location. Very cool. So that's for the two weekends of the studio tour. Then in late July at the Our Legacy Lavender Fields in Stanwood, yeah. we, they have a one-day show, which they've invited us to show at each year. Okay. And then our final show will be next month at the Camino Center. And that's what we call Art by the Bay. Nice. And this will be the 30th anniversary of that show. Wow, very so cool. The guild started out doing it at Utsalady Bay. Yeah. And then it moved over to the fairgrounds. Yep. And then it used to be a street fair down in Stanwood. And now the last few years we've moved it into the Camino Center. And we do it during October when there's really not much else going on. Yeah. We're pretty much the only game in town. Yeah. And since it's indoors, we don't have to worry about weather. Right. Lots of parking. So. Excellent. It's, it's, and we've, I believe this year we have 36 artists wow. that will be showing there. Nice. Very cool. Well, that's awesome. The, the fact that it's 30 years old, that's a really huge accomplishment for an event. It is, and it's unusual for any event to last that long. And it's unusual that our guild has lasted that long. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, what's also funny, the, the fact the Art by the Bay has gone through so many evolutions to get to where it is now. And yet yeah. it's kind of stayed under this banner throughout that whole period. Correct. Um, the, we talked to, I had the, one of the gals who helped start um, Art by the Bay on the podcast. And that was back when she owned uh, the little store by the Bay. And I didn't actually realize, I didn't connect the two, that that's why it's Art by the Bay is because it was, it's a playoff of her, the name, the little store by the Bay, the, that name. Um, and it's just stayed yeah. with it the whole time. Yeah, the name stuck no matter where it was, even yeah. when it was at the fairgrounds. <laughs> Not anywhere near the Bay. <laughs> yeah. But that's awesome. That's so cool. And I, I, I love the, the history of that event and that it's continued on. And um, I know my dad was a big part, uh, not of the event, but being there at the event, he met a lot of different people, a lot of the artists, a lot of um, the locals um, back when he did the coffee roaster tastings there. And so um, yeah. I know it's been a, a monumental event for him in, in the sense of like meeting the community and, and getting involved. So. Yeah, it's it's really become quite popular. Yeah. Uh, our event last year, we had almost 3,000 people come wow. through during the three days that we were open. So. Okay. Nice. Very cool. Okay. So you've already mentioned this once, but what is gouache painting? Gouache is basically opaque watercolor. Okay. It's still a water-based media. The color palette is virtually identical, but you tend to use white more and you very rarely use white as part of transparent watercolor because it tends to be an opaque mm -hmm. color. So gouache, uh, the more white you mix into your paints, the more opaque it becomes. Okay. But as I mentioned, it uh, 
technique-wise, is more like acrylic or oil. Yeah. Again, you start with the darkest colors and start adding lighter colors until you get to the lightest color. Okay. So it's a different process. Yeah. Why do you think that is that, that with gouache, you, you kind of reverse that again, even though it's still kind of watercolor? Uh, because of the opaqueness. Okay. With watercolor, you can take a transparent color, like a light blue, and you can do a wash over top of that, and you'll still see the other color showing through. Mm -hmm. And you can keep adding other colors, like you can add purples and browns and so forth. Yeah. And each one of those will add a layer of color to the original. Yeah. But all of those colors will still be there. Okay. Whereas with the opaque paints, every time you add a color, it's going to cover up the one below it. Got it. Okay. Got it. Very cool. Um, also, I'm pretty sure, not pretty sure, you are the first gouache painter to be on the podcast, so you got a first <laughs> there to your name. There aren't very many in this area. Okay. Uh, if you get down towards Seattle, in Edmonds, there are two or three very good gouache artists. Okay. So it's not an unknown medium. Yeah. But it's not nearly as popular or as well-known as acrylics or gouache or oil. Yeah, yeah. How did you get uh, introduced to gouache painting? Uh, I don't really remember. Okay. Uh, I know that when you watch things on YouTube, I like there are a lot of artists that I like to watch. Yeah. And a number of them would take white and add that to bring back the highlights that they may have lost. Yeah. And there's one artist named James Gurney. Okay. Who does demos who's primarily a gouache artist. Okay. And I became really fascinated with his technique and decided to give it a try. Okay. And what was it that made it stick? Because you mentioned before you didn't really like the, the process of acrylics or oil. What made it gouache different for you? The advantage for me was that gouache, like watercolor, dries very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to wait before you go on to the next step. Yeah. And it was just something different to try. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> so as far as your style of painting, what are you more of like a object painter? What, what's kind of your style? How would you describe your style of painting? I'm a realist, but not a photorealist. Okay. Explain The things that. that I paint are very recognizable and have a lot of detail. But I'm not trying to make them look like a photograph. Okay. They're going to be very representative of the subject matter, mm -hmm. but they're not going to be the same effect you'd get if you just went there with your camera. Yeah. There's still going to be a certain artistic element to it. Okay. How does that kind of come out? Can you give us an example of a painting that, that you kind of done this with? All of my paintings are done that way. Okay. Okay. I tend to paint... A lot of people call my paintings nostalgic. Uh, people have called me a storyteller. Okay. Uh, had one man write an article about me, and one of the comments he said was, he paints memories, oh, which I cool. thought was fantastic. Yeah. But I do, I paint a lot of uh, vintage cars, uh, decrepit barns, <laughs> uh, antique or out-of-business gas stations. Okay. A lot of things like that. Yeah. 
although I do a lot of marine art also. Okay. So it's I'm not limited to that, but those tend to be the subjects yeah. that I tend to come back to. Nice. Very cool. So can you walk us through your creative process? That's a hard one to answer. Uh, whenever we travel, I avoid freeways like the plague. Okay. Okay. I always take the back roads, and any little town I come to, I'll drive through it and look for subjects to paint. And it seems like almost every little town has a gas station that's gone out of dismiss. Yeah. Now, it may be just sitting there falling into ruin, or it may have been repurposed. I find a lot of gas stations become coffee shops. Yeah. That seems to be very popular. (laughs) Yeah. But I like to look at them, and I can see what they were and try to figure out what kind of gas station it was what kind of accessories and paraphernalia would have been there. Yeah. And then I usually try to pick a car that would have gone with that era. Okay. Nice. So do you take a picture of the gas station and then backfill in all those other details? I will take a photograph as a reference point. But I can only think of one or two paintings I've done where I didn't vary it quite a bit from the photograph. Right. I usually change the backgrounds and add different objects to the painting. It's very rarely going to look exactly like the photograph. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that idea, too, of of kind of having the picture as your reference, but then your imagination is working in the background to kind of rebuild what you want it to be, putting it back in that time zone. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't be uncommon for me to have a half a dozen photographs that I'm using for references. Okay. But again, I don't paint for super realism, so none of them are probably going to look exactly like the reference. Yeah. Nice. Um, So what is the most interesting or unusual object that you've ever painted? (laughs) Uh, The most unusual is a car. Okay. When I was in college... Buick uh, sponsored a national painting contest where they wanted people... At that time, they were importing Opel cars from Germany. Yeah. So they would give a number of Opels to the university or college, and then groups from the college, in our case, the Intercollegiate Knights Fraternity, Mm -hmm. uh, there were two of us who were art majors. Okay. So we went out and we painted faces all over, completely covered this opal car with faces. Okay. And it ended up being the winning entry. Wow. So I can't remember the numbers now, but the Buick Corporation gave the uh, fraternity quite a large number of money for scholarships. Wow. That's awesome. That's my most unusual. (laughs) That's very cool. So... As you continue to, with painting and and practice and learning, what are the ways that you kind of increase your skill level and sharpen your skills and learn new techniques? Uh, It's a combination. I don't really take classes per se, Mm -hmm. but I do watch a lot of YouTube uh, demonstrations, which give me ideas. And once uh, an idea has germinated, then I'll start practicing it and trying different things. Okay. So it's basically just trial and error. Okay. More than anything else. Nice. Do you ever get um, 
when you're doing paintings and stuff, do you typically just say, I'm going to adjust my technique a little bit to try this? Or do you ever take a, a blank canvas and just say, I'm just going to completely try a new technique? Occasionally I will, but most of the time I'm drawing on what I know how to do and okay. I may add something to it. Yeah, nice. But most of the practice is done on scrap pieces of paper, uh, trying different color combinations mm -hmm. and so forth, seeing what works and what doesn't, yeah. and then that becomes part of a real painting. Okay, nice. Um, so we talked about watercolor and gouache painting. Are there any other mediums that you work with? I do pen and ink occasionally. Okay. Very rarely acrylic. Okay. But I have done a few. Yeah. But primarily it's the first two. Yeah. Do you ever blend any of these, like watercolor with acrylic or, you know? Uh, it's not unusual to add some gouache okay. to a watercolor. Yeah. If there's an area that I feel shouldn't be transparent, that I want more weight to it, I yeah. might add gouache to it. Okay. Nice. So on, on the business side of being an artist, how have you continued to kind of grow your, your art and uh, become more well-known in the community? Uh, primarily entering contests and entering shows and basically showing at the various events that I can find. Mm -hmm. uh, currently, at, I just finished doing a plein air competition for the Cole Gallery okay. in Edmonds. Nice. So I have a couple of paintings in their gallery, and I also did a quick draw for them, which uh, on Saturday there were 20 of us, and each one of us had three hours to do a painting, have it framed, and ready to hang in the gallery. Wow. Holy cow. So, <laughs> How do you approach something like that when you're that tightly time-constrained? I did a couple of practice runs about some of the things I was planning to do in the painting yeah. so that I had a pretty good idea of what was going to happen and where it was going to go. Okay. It was... Some of the artists are so good at this that they can just walk out and grab their oils and just start painting and they have no problem with it. Yeah. Because I tend to be a very detailed person. Okay. Uh, it's not quite as easy for me as it might be for somebody who's a very loose, semi-abstract painter. Yeah. How do the oil painters compete in this type of a competition with their oils drying so much slower? When it goes to the gallery, it's still wet. Okay. So it's hanging on the wall in a drying phase. Okay. So if somebody buys it, they don't want to touch it for <laughs> a couple of weeks. Yeah. Nice. Um, so you mentioned that you're part of the Stanwood Camino Arts Guild. Right. Um, do you also work... Or you also are you also a member of uh, the Camino Arts Association? No. Okay. Uh, those two associations, we do have a lot of crossover. Yeah. There are quite a few num uh, members of both associations. Yeah. So it's. Uh, I have so many things on my plate right now. I haven't felt it was necessary to join another association <laughs> in the same area. Right. Now, I'm also the president of the Arlington Arts Council. Okay. So I do a lot of work over in the Arlington area also. Okay. 
Nice. What do, what differences do you kind of see in the two different art scenes with Arlington and the Stanwood one? Uh, the Stanwood Camino Art Guild is more artist-focused. Okay. Uh, one of our primary mandates is to provide an opportunity for our members to show and sell their art. Yeah. Whereas the Arlington Arts Council is more community-oriented. Okay. In obtaining art for Arlington. Okay. Now, we do have, at our meetings, we usually have a person come in to do a demonstration. Yeah. And the members can learn from that. And we also have one art event a year. Okay. Which is called Art in the Park. Okay. Which is at the... uh, park in Arlington, and that's usually a two-day event, and that was two weeks ago. Oh, okay. Nice. Awesome. And then have you guys done, with being in the Stanwood Camino Arts Guild, have you done much work with SCAC? Not in SCAC, but working with them on different projects or things like that? Not really. Okay. We have... for lack of a better word, associated with them. And Kat has invited us to participate in things. In fact, recently she asked me to participate in some judging, but unfortunately I had another commitment at that time. Okay. So we do associate with each other, but we don't really have any common events that we share. Okay. Got it. Nice. Um, are there any artists who really have influenced your work over over the course of your, your time? Quite a number. Okay. Uh, one artist who has always fascinated me is a guy named Roland Lee. Okay. And he's a watercolorist. He primarily paints the uh, national parks like Zion and Cedar Breaks, Grand Canyon, areas like that. And I learned a lot about uh, some of the colors that he uses and the differences between formed shadows and cast shadows. So very impressed with his work. Uh, Probably my favorite artist of all time is Winslow Homer. Okay. I love his work. And I've always kind of identified with some of the old illustrators. Okay. Maxfield Parrish, N.C. Wyeth some of those people. Nice. Very cool. So for for listeners who are maybe looking to get into watercolor and start learning, um, what would be your suggestion for them? Uh, it's not a bad idea to watch some of the tutorials on YouTube. Mm-hmm. There are a number of good ones. Uh, Steve Mitchell called The Mind of Watercolor. Paul Clark... As I mentioned, Roland Lee. Uh, those would be three that appeal to me. There are a number of others. Uh, Andrew Pitt is very good. Tim Wilmot. So watching those, you can kind of get an idea of different watercolor techniques and maybe find a way that you want to go. Mm-hmm. In terms of uh, learning in this area... Nikki White, 
on Camino Island, does teach watercolor. She's very good at it. And they also have watercolor classes at the shack in Everett. But I would probably watch a few YouTubes first. Okay. Just to kind of look and see if it's something that you really do like. Yeah. Nice. All right. And so I know that you're, so you're going to be the feature artist of the month for October. Uh, tell us about the pieces that you're going to be bringing into the loft. Quite honestly, I'm not sure which ones they're going to be yet. Okay. Because we have Art by the Bay in October also. Yeah. I have to decide which way I want to go. Mm -hmm. The ones that are coming here, I know of one gouache that I'm bringing for sure. Okay. And probably, they're all probably going to be fairly small. Okay. 11 by 14 or smaller. Yeah. And I probably have a few larger ones for Art by the Bay. Okay. But, yeah, at this point, I'm still kind of choosing which ones would make a good combination of different things and a good display. Okay. Nice. Well, very cool. So just again, listeners, if you're listening to this uh, before the month of October 2023, uh, Bill's uh, work will be up the third from the third week in September through the uh, about the third week in October. So be sure to stop in and check out the work that he's bringing in. Um, we're looking forward to it. That's really cool. All right. Well, we like to end every podcast with some rapid fire questions. So the first one is: What purchase of a hundred dollars or less have you enjoyed the most in the last three months? I bought a Daniel Smith portable watercolor set. Okay. Which I could use for the plain air competition. Yeah. My palette at home was much too large to take out into the field. Okay. So this has worked out pretty well for me. Nice. Something you're going to be bringing around for more things? I may do more plain air. Okay. I hadn't done, I've done some of it, but this kind of focused my attention on it a little more. Nice. Uh, Who is the most influential person outside of your family in your life? Probably one of my early teachers, a guy named Charles Smith. Okay. He's pretty much the one who told me to be an artist and not an architect. Nice. So, <laughs> awesome. And I probably, if I hadn't listened to him, I probably would have made more money, but maybe not had as much fun. <laughs> well, good. I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed the, the path you've chosen. Uh, this is a fill-in-the-blank question. I know this is weird, but I've always wanted to blank. I don't think that I've had any things that I've wanted to do very badly that I haven't actually done. Good. Nice. I don't, I don't have a bucket list right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there we go. Well, that's good. You're, you're in a really good position then. <laughs> um, who is an interesting or fascinating person that I should interview next? I think the ones that I would immediately think of, you've probably already done. Uh, I think of Debbie Kluge, mm -hmm. which I believe you've done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I'm just not coming up with. No, anybody. you're good. If you think of any, you can always email them to me yeah. later. All right. And lastly, what piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self? Again, that's a really tough one. 
I probably would say invest in Microsoft. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's probably a good advice. And, and if you could just make a prediction on what we should invest in right now, today, for the next 20 years, that'd be great, too. <laughs> <laughs> if I knew that, then I would be way ahead of the game. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Bill, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. You're welcome. All right. And Islanders, I will talk to you on the next one. Well, a big thank you to Bill Coger for joining me on the podcast today. And thank you for listening. If you haven't already, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. It really helps us be found by other Islanders like yourself. And for more information on this episode, you can go to the show notes of this show or go to Commando Commons dot com slash podcast thanks for listening and see you next time